You're listening to another episode of the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. We are turning the page from our leap year month into March of 2024. It's time for National Athletic Training Month again. Each year we highlight several athletic trainers to talk about their roles, some interesting cases, some struggles, and advice for those starting out in the field. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by three secondary school athletic trainers. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. I have three guests on the podcast today. First up is Jenny Fight. She graduated from Missouri Western State University, where she received her AAS and physical therapy assistant and served as a student AT while receiving a BS in exercise science. She has practiced as a physical therapy assistant since 1999 and AT since 2002. She has served since 2011 at Smithville High School. She also is involved with Secondary High School Committee for D5 and serves as the chair for Moata, which is the Missouri Athletic Trainer Association. She also is an active member of our Missouri State High School Athletic Association Sports Medicine Advisory Committee. My second guest is Mike Hopper, who is the head athletic trainer at Bishop Lynch High School in Dallas, Texas. Mike has practiced at the secondary school level since graduating from Southeast Missouri State in 2010 with a bachelor's in athletic training. Mike also has a master's degree from the University of South Florida in pediatric sports medicine. He is active on social media surrounding advocacy for athletic training and sports safety and is also active in the NATA. My final guest is Dustin Fink, who is an athletic trainer in Central Illinois, providing coverage as the athletic trainer for the Mount Zion School District. Dustin has been a certified athletic trainer for over 20 years. He graduated from Colorado State University Pueblo and then moved on to the Colorado State University located in Fort Collins. Upon completion of his master's in health and exercise science with emphasis on sports psychology, he moved to central Illinois, where he has remained there since. In 2009, he started his blog called The Concussion Blog, you know, very creative, just like my pediatric sports medicine podcast title there. So right on. I like the simplicity. And it's been cited in prominent news outlets and has been featured in an article in The New Yorker and for the book League of Denial. He is now a faculty member of The Concussion Corner. He recently rotated off the Illinois High School Association Sports Medicine Advisory Committee, where he spearheaded the contact limits for football. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Hello. How are we doing? Thanks for having me. Good. You know, I I truly look forward to recording this episode every year. It's an honor to highlight the various athletic trainers and what they do. Athletic trainers have definitely played a crucial role when I was starting out my education, teaching me the ropes and just supporting me as a physician, guiding me along when I knew pretty much nothing about sports medicine as a doctor in training. That's why, in part, I'm an advocate for the profession and why I look forward to collaborating with and, and providing educational opportunities as a way to give back to athletic trainers. So I am grateful to have several athletic trainers to chat with today, and probably my biggest involvement always is with the secondary school ATs. Now, each of you do have a role in the secondary school systems, so I think why don't you go around what your main roles are and any other side things you may be doing in the world of athletic training that can be committees, social media, things like that. Mike, I'll have you start. Thanks for having us uh, this evening. Like you said, I'm the head athletic trainer at Bishop Lynch High School, or at the largest co-ed Catholic high school in the state of Texas, located here in Dallas. As a head athletic trainer, I obviously am responsible, along with my staff, for about 700 athletes and a lot of sports. But I also teach a sports medicine class, obviously involved in social media, as many, as many of your listeners may already know. But also, I am on the Committee for Professional Ethics through the NATA and have been over the last few years, speaking at various conferences at the regional, state, and national level. It's been great having an opportunity to get to know 
a lot of athletic trainers around the country and, and traveling, talking about athletic training, especially here at the secondary school level. How about you, Jenny? I'm with the Smithville School District, and we are what I would still consider almost rural. Kansas City is starting to reach out and touch us, but I'm actually responsible for providing care grades 7 through 12. I first came here, I hadn't worked a 10 with middle school kids, and that has been a very different challenge to learn how to navigate that world, but I love it. One of the things I really take pride in is being a part of our sports medicine advisory committee for the state, how I got to meet you, Dr. Halstead. There's so many people that like to say, well, the people that don't know what they're talking about are the ones making the rules. And that's not the case. It's actually us that are on the sidelines, in the trenches, doing the work. And I've been able to carry a lot of that over into what I'm doing as chair for MOATA, as well as in our school district. When I came in, there were no policies and procedures and there were no EAPs and really taking that on. One of the other things I really enjoy working with is a local youth substance use prevention coalition, and I volunteer time off work to help with that. But then it carries over into we do a lot of programs with our athletes on why it's really important to remain substance free. And so that's me. And I do. I agree with you. I love the work that we do through our Missouri Sports Medicine Advisory Committee. I think it's a very robust group, and I think we've done a lot to benefit the athletes in the state of Missouri. I know that I've been on it over a decade now and certainly been uh, probably one of my most rewarding experiences of what I've been able to do just for advocacy for for our athletes. And I, I agree. There are people who actually know what they're talking about who's on the committee. <laughs> yes. <so. laughs> yes, very so much that's so. A good thing. How about you, Dustin? I'm an outsourced athletic trainer, so I, I'm employed by a hospital system. I'm in charge of a school district. started as a high school, but you know the high school is connected to junior high, and I've got kids in the district, so everybody knows me. So basically, I take and field phone calls and, and questions and, and anything injury-wise for the entire school district and surrounding school districts, to be honest. I've been around a while. I've been around since the days of the old internship program in the athletic training world. Some of your listeners, uh, your younger listeners will have no idea what that is. Some of your older listeners will know exactly what that is. And Mike knows very well that uh, I am a massive proponent of trying to get back to that somehow, some way. I don't know the right way to do that. I feel like we learned a lot and did stuff there. So that's kind of what I do on a daily basis. Mike said he's got 700 athletes. We have about 700 people in our school, in our high school. So I have about 250, 300 athletes any given time. I'm not only involved in the sports medicine side of things, but uh, I'm involved in the strength and conditioning of a lot of the female athletes, as well as integrated in the concussion oversight program. I also substitute teach in the district, so that also helps. I'm also doing a lot of uh, district and local other county schools, education on, on head injuries, pediatric sports medicine, pediatric safety, and whatnot. So I, I do get around a little bit when it comes to things like that. But really, I'm honored to be here, and thank you for having me. But I, you know, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just a dude. I'm just a dude in central Illinois. It loves my job loves my profession and I'm here to help. So um, let's, let's get rock and roll and see how we can help anybody that's listening. Hey, but you know that most of the vast majority out there are just the dude or dudettes. <laughs> so, you know, that you guys all have some active presence in, in committees and on social media and what have you, which is obviously how I know you guys in the, in the big picture of things, you know, you guys are the boots on the ground, which is, you know, again, why, why I respect you guys so much. But, you know, before we go on to the other parts, I think it would be helpful, Dustin, just to elaborate for the newbies out there and even for the sports medicine physicians who listen, who may not be as savvy and know what exactly the internship program was in athletic training. Why don't you explain that a little bit? Okay. Yeah, it looks like Jenny, Jenny I think, was also part of that program, too. I graduated from one. 
Athletic trainers today come out through a KD program or certified program, the master's program. So you have to become a, you have a master's degree to become an athletic trainer. And during today's education, what happens is, is that you're supervised and you're, it's very structured on how you're getting your education and your hands-on experience. Let's just juxtapose that with the Wild West when I went to school. And it's easiest to explain it like this. When I showed up to the athletic training room at what was called Southern Colorado back in the day, my mentor and, and great James Paul uh, handed me a athletic training kit, a portable ultrasound and STEM unit, and told me I was in charge of the men's and women's soccer team who starts in three days. Good luck. If you need help, just let me know. So I know that sounds down and dirty, but really what happens is in the internship program, in order for us to get our experience, we had to have over 1,800 hours clinical, well, will be now clinical, but it was really back then internship hours of being an athletic trainer, a student athletic trainer under the direct supervision of an athletic trainer. And what often what happened was when we traveled, we worked under the athletic trainer of a visiting school. So my very first road trip was uh, to Waco, Texas, of all places from Pueblo. And not only was I the student athletic trainer, I was also the van driver. I was also the per diem guy. And I was also the guy making sure lodging was all taken care of. So that's kind of how the internship route was. I know that's kind of down and dirty, but back then it was, it, you had the internship hours and then you had all your class hours and those combined together to allow you to sit for the test of the BOC. And there were, and back when I was in school, there were two routes. There was the internship route, which I was under, and they were transitioning into the more academic route or the non-internship route, which was less hours, but more, the, the classes were more structured into what we were doing. So I guess I came in in a transition period, but at the same time, I also learned a lot of things that I don't think a lot of students learn now. So that is, that's in a nutshell. Did I explain it well enough? Yeah. I mean, I understand. Yeah. And I'll actually add the state of Texas, we still do have the internship route, but it does not allow you to sit for the BOC exam. Texas has our own separate licensure exam. And there are students who can come out with a bachelor's after going through an apprenticeship program, the phrase they're using rather than internship, to sit for the Texas license exam and become a licensed athletic trainer in the state of Texas. But that does still exist today with, I would say, a lot of controversy and divisions between various groups in the process. Certainly. Yeah, I, I get it all. And I think apprenticeship is a great way to put it. And I think it is, it has its place still. And that's probably not what we're here for, but that's a great explanation. Oh, anything's what we're here for. We're just talking athletic training. <laughs> All three games. You don't, want, you don't want to get me going down this road. Trust me. We're okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I said my teeth. That's enough. That makes your it more interesting. Was, it's all good. Yeah, your first trip was the Waco, my first long distance trip. Of course, I traveled around the MIAA being that I went to Missouri Western, but sophomore year, they're like, well, you have to go on clinicals for PTA and you're going to need to make up hours. So you're going to go to Florida with the softball team for 10 days. And like you, it was here, you're in charge of this money, making sure the room checks were done. Like I'm younger than most of these girls on the team, but yes, I'll do their room checks. So I, I love it. Yeah. I was in the accredited program, but I'll say my first my first road trip in the athletic training program was to the University of Missouri with the football team from Southeast Missouri. 
Well, let's talk some stories over your careers. Uh, again, we always want to be HIPAA mindful here. I'd kind of like to hear something from each of you. And what we've we've typically done in the past is we've had so- started off with something that's been extremely rewarding, either uh, as a patient encounter or just something that you experienced so far in your careers and as athletic trainers. And then we'll follow that with something that you found to be a significant challenge. And so, Ginny, we'll start with the rewarding one with you. And, you know, thinking through that question, I couldn't pick just one story, but a theme of stories and that how much reward I've gotten from getting to know these families, being that we are a small community, getting sibling after sibling coming through, and you truly do become a part of their family. Coming to the graduation parties, getting invited two years down the road to baby showers and bridal showers and things like that for the kids that you've made, obviously an impact on their life not only for those good times, but the kids calling you um, from college saying, I'm just really struggling with my mental health. And the fact that you've made that impact and they still feel comfortable to call you years later, I can't even describe how rewarding that is. And some people, you know, our peers, they get it, but sometimes our friends and family, like they don't understand why do you work all these hours and why, why do you go in extra to do this? And until you've been in our shoes, a lot of people don't understand that. But all of those, like, you know, you two on the podcast as well, like you get it. Every athletic trainer is going to understand that. And it's why most of us do what we do. How about you, Dustin? I, I echo what Jenny said, which, which is a lot of the gratitude you get from, from everybody. You know, I have three kids of my own, but every year I have 250 kids of my own. And, and seeing them through good times, celebrating their successes, their victories, whether it be in academia or whether they had a family, something great happened to their family. Being part of that is, you know, it, it, it's something unique to this profession, especially if you're in the secondary school education. I'm sure it's the same at the college level and the professional level, but it's probably not the same, not, not, as, not as robust because, you know, you have a handful and by handful, I mean 50 athletes, 60 athletes and coaches, but here you have 250 kids, but then you have, the, by extension, you have all these other kids, students that are in the school that you're part of too. But I think the most rewarding story still goes back to my very first year in 2000. I had a cheerleader. uh, I was covering my very first game and I'm preparing for the game and I get tapped on the shoulder and it's uh, the cheerleading sponsor who had told me that, you know, she had a girl fall, wasn't feeling well. She was being ill. She was being sick in the, in the, in, in, in the trash can over there. So I went to check on her and something didn't feel right. The way she fell uh, th- th- was described to me because, of course, I didn't see it. Did some testing and some, you know, some some asking and some clearance stuff. Of course, I'm right out of school, so of course I know everything, right? Right out of school, you absolutely know everything. My shoulder hurts, even though I fell and got hit on my stomach. You know, that kind of sent a flag off in my head a little bit. So then I started doing some palpitations of of her abdomen, and then she started to light up a little bit in in some areas that you know didn't seem right. I told them what I thought was happening, which I thought maybe she was going to have a, 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 had a spleen rupture at the time and kind of got brushed off a little bit. But dad, I got to dad, connected to dad. Dad's like, I don't know. This is not really, I don't think this is anything. You know, I think it's, I think you're blowing this up. Of course, you know, th- this school that I was at never had a full-time athletic trainer. It was the first time they had one. They'd always had students and stuff. And of course, I know everything, right? Remember I told you I'm right out of school, so I know everything. So I'm being demonstrative. Of course, I'm going to be right here. Because <laughs> um, I can never be wrong. Dad finally says, "Okay, I'll I'll take her." And then about 30 minutes later, I can hear a helicopter coming to land at our rural health department. And then I find out after the game that was her. She was flown out. She she did have a ruptured spleen, and she ended up being uh, taken away and had surgery. And every year at Thanksgiving, 
I get sound pretty emotional about because I am. I, I do. I get, every year I either get a text, a card, a call, thanking me, being thankful for me because I kept somebody in their life alive with my decision that I made. So that's probably been the most grateful thing, only because it was so impactful. It's so early in my career. But there's many, many, many other cases just like that that happen over and over again. I think that's just been, you know, something that I always strive to be. And it always reminds me to always look for the little things and always try to make sure I have everything locked tight before I send somebody off or tell them they're going to be okay and whatnot. How about you, Mike? Yeah, I, I think, you know, they both hit it pretty well. And when I think about the rewarding part of our profession, I just think about relationships with, with so many different people. You know, Dustin and I have known each other now for probably since about 2010, 2011. And I came out of school and, and actually wrote a few blogs for his concussion blog way back when. When I moved down here, I like to describe our school as with the, the resources of a big school, but the, the community of the small school. Dustin talks about Mount Zion having, you know, 700 students total and, and we're at 700 athletes and I can tell you through things I've seen with Dustin that Mount Zion's changed a lot since I played football there in 2006 as a senior in high school in the playoffs but relationships with our kids and our families are just amazing and there's there's really one story that I think stands out the most for me if she or her mom were to hear this today they they would fully understand when I first moved down here to Dallas and moved to Bishop Lynch and this girl was an incoming freshman struggling, again, a cheerleader, and she was struggling with a with a knee injury, or so they thought. They'd been run through the ringer, right? We all know how the healthcare system is and bounce from place to place, and they were referred a direction that didn't make any sense, and the coach sent her to me, and I was able to take the time to listen. And I, I ended up having a 30-minute phone conversation with mom and, and told her what I thought. And here's my plan. And, you know, that was different for me compared to when I was working in a physical therapy clinic right there in, in southern Illinois, outside of St. Louis. I was able to spend that time with my athlete now. And she ended up having a labral tear in her hip and femoral acid tabular impingement and had surgery, returned back to cheer. And she's now on our coaching staff, which makes me feel old because she was a freshman my first year here at BL, and, and now she's on our coaching staff. And I tell her that. But she told me and, and told a couple other coaches last spring, I think it was, at a, at a social event we were having, you know, how, how impactful I was on her high school career. And that is obviously really rewarding. It's a great pearl there is don't forget about the hip as a source of knee pain. Always make sure you at least look and rotate the hip and do something when you're looking at a knee. So good, <laughs> good, uh, good uh, pearl there. How about another pearl? Always check the joint above and joint below. How about that? For sure. For sure. And I wasn't even trying to give you a pearl there. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Pearls. Hey, we, we'll, we'll get them. We'll get them. Well, why don't we talk about a significant challenge each of you has faced over the years and, and how you responded to that. There's challenges every day, right? Of course. <laughs> it, it can be from the mundane of uh, your, you know, your point guard who's supposed to be coming in for rehab at 2.15 shows up at 2.25 and practice starts at 2.35. There's a challenge every day. Dealing with the hard-headed kids like my son's senior class who doesn't want to listen because they view me as a dad, not an athletic trainer sometimes. That's, that's a challenge, right? I have, the, I, have, I have a weird dynamic where I've grown up with these kids and they view me as it's, it's hard to move them together. But I think 
one of my most infamous challenges uh, actually centered around the, the creation of the concussion blog. And that was, I had seen some things with concussions that was kind of bothering me at the time. And, and so I was kind of tuned into that. But I had an athlete, our best athlete at the time, get, get hurt in a game, came over to me, talked to me. And this is under the old Cantu days, right? Mm-hmm. And those of you that are listening, if you know what the can, if I refer to Cantu days, that was if you get hit in the head, you stumble around, whatever you do. If I walk over to you 15 minutes later and you tell me you're okay, we're going to put you back in the game. Um, that's mm-hmm. literally what we did, which, which is terrible looking back on it. But that's the Cantu days. I went back to the kid and he still wasn't right. Said he didn't want to go back in, didn't feel right. So, you know, I'm at this point, I'm more in tune concussion stuff than I'd ever been. And so I'm like, yeah, we're going to be out the rest of the game. I don't care. You're our best player or whatever else like that. And so I took his helmet and put it in my gator instead of walking around with it. And then about two minutes later, I look over, I see the assistant coach grabbing his helmet out of my gator. So I'm only about three or four years out of school now. So I really know everything and I'm really (laughs) always right about stuff at this point. Right. And I came unglued, ranting and raving, screaming at the top of my lungs, running down the sideline, asking what he was doing, probably not using those not as colorful words, made a scene, went to the head coach, the head coach sided with the assistant coach at that time for about 30 seconds. And then we finally figured it all out and we ended up holding him out the rest of the game. So that was probably one of my most challenging issues that I've ever had in terms of athletic training, just me by myself. It resolved since then. I've learned since then because now I really, really, really know everything and I'm getting older and wiser and I don't want to spend as much energy yelling at people. Now I educate everybody before anything happens and let them know what the process is going to be and what the outcome will be if we don't follow this process. And I'm lucky to have people that stand behind me in that, not only my hospital system, but my medical director, as well as my administration at my school. So that was my most challenging thing, but anything in life, right? It's just like I coach softball. I got a daughter that plays softball. I played college baseball, so I'm big into it. A bobbled ball or a muffed ball with a runner on base is an opportunity for a pump fake to get somebody out somewhere else. I always view that if there's a mistake I made, if I miss a Lockman's here or I miss an, uh, you know, an anterior drawer here or a tilt or something, something that doesn't go right, I, it's an opportunity for me to improve. So even though that was the most challenging situation, it's now allowed me to be a better athletic trainer and a better communicator and a better educator for everybody involved. So it's funny you mentioned the can two days thing because I'm a mini hoarder in a way. I consider it more of a collector. Uh, that's a more appropriate way of describing a mini hoarder. But I still have from when I did my residency in from 1998 to 2001 at Wisconsin, I have my little pocket card on concussions that we were all provided as residents covering high schools. And the very first athletic trainer I worked with ever at the secondary school level, that was my very first exposure. And I actually had him on the podcast a few years ago for this specific episode. But on that card, it specifically says if the athlete has no symptoms in 15 minutes that they could go back into play. So I kept that. I I actually have gone back to Wisconsin and given a talk and I actually have scanned that, taken a picture of it and put it in my talk and just say, see how far we've come. (laughs) And But also, again, cringing when I think about the number of athletes I let go back into play that probably were still obviously concussed at the time. So, so I, I feel you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Probably one of the most challenging situations for me or, or challenging concepts, I think is, you know, again, we talked about relationships a moment ago, but, but also on the reverse of things, coaches and, and athletic trainers or, or parents and athletic trainers, butting heads and certainly had plenty of that in, in my career also had a lot of really great coaches and really great parents, but I've also had plenty of, of not so great interactions. And 
I think the phrase of outlasting them sometimes is the key because there are some that you simply cannot educate and you won't win over. And so I think you have to find ways to to work through that. Like I said, I've certainly had to do that in my career. And my dad kind of laughed. My dad was a high school coach for, for 40 plus years. And he told me that, you know, when I had that interaction with a particular coach that I, I probably learned that not all coaches are the same because I'd been very fortunate previously in my career with coaches that, including my high school coach who I worked with for two years that were very supportive and, you know, hopefully learned from that and, and have been able to move forward with that ever since. Glad you, Jenny. Just like we talked about earlier about the building the relationships and the rewarding part of it, the challenge then on that exact same thing is finding family balance at home and, you know, making time. We want to be there for our high school kids who I think Dustin said, they become your kids. They do. And being that I'm at middle school and high school, I have about 700 kids that become my own. And so making sure I'm not neglecting my own home life. And so one of the best things to turn that around for us was during COVID, my stepdaughter was getting ready to attend a high school that was three times the size of ours. And we we just knew that wasn't going to be a good place for her, the type of learning she needed. And she was able to transfer to where I work. And that was the best thing that could possibly happen because it allows me to still do my job, but I can still be, you know, mom and actually see some of her games and be able to be involved. And like Dustin, like you said, like your, your kids, friends, you know, are you the dad or are you the mom today? And I always joke when I go to events, like yesterday we went to a wrestling tournament and a couple of the girls were like, help me with this and help me with that. And I said, Hey, those two guys down there, they're some of the best athletic trainers around besides me, of course, go see them. And because I'm just playing mom today and I love that they come to me first, but there are definitely times I, I turn it off and get to just be in that supporting cheering role. That's the part I've found challenging, but luckily we found a way to overcome it. Yeah, that is always the struggle. And I think that's with any of us is the work-life balance is trying to balance that time at work and then balance the time with our families and making sure that that takes priority. And that's something I've learned over my career that some regrets I have early in my career where I did not have the word no in my vocabulary and, and that became an issue. So I'm glad no actually entered my vocabulary. And so so I, I encourage everyone to just, you know, you don't have to do that one extra event. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on that one. Well, let's talk about an interesting or challenging case or diagnosis that you've dealt with during your career. And again, we got to be HIPAA mindful here, but I'll start with Mike. We brought on a part-time assistant this year who was a BL grad from long before I got here. So she, she's been helping us out this year and, and she laughed at me when, when I told her, you know, some of the things that we've had this year, it's been a crazy year for us. And just, she's like, you guys have way over exceeded your quota for crazy and weird because she was only around about once a week during the fall for us. But I think the most interesting or challenging case that I had, again, goes back to my time at Waterloo. And again, it goes back to a cheerleader. There's actually a reason that my capstone project for my master's program was in cheerleading injuries, interesting enough, because my sister is a high school cheerleader, or I'm sorry, a junior high cheerleading coach. And she would have never thought I would want anything to do with cheerleading. But... I had this girl come to me. Actually, I guess I, I walked by their practice one day on my way to a soccer game, and they stopped me, and she was having fibular pain. After eval, I thought she possibly had a fractured fibula. 
because she couldn't walk and she wouldn't do this and she wouldn't do that. And we had to jump through some hoops that, again, we talked about the healthcare system and primary care office wouldn't see her and told her to go to the ER, even though the injury itself had actually occurred more than two weeks prior. But I was able to pull some strings and get her in with an orthopedic PA the next morning. And we ended up down the road. That fibular fracture that I was concerned about turned into actually a perineal tendon rupture, which I would not have expected at all. And she ended up having, over you know the course of the rest of that school year, a perineal tendon rupture and a fibular stress fracture and would have an ankle reconstruction and would end up going through rehab and things you know, with us then return back to cheer. And so just being able to go through that whole process again is just amazing. And, and just looking out for the differential diagnoses, simple ankle sprain, simple fibular fracture turned into something quite a bit different that turned into surgery. You know, that fibular issue is an interesting one. That's, I think, probably one of, if we, if I think of misdiagnoses that come into my office or presumed diagnoses of a perineal tendon problem, and turns out to be the fibula. On the other hand, where the fibula wasn't thought to be, that's 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 you have the exact opposite. Obviously, it sounds like she had uh, had a twofer there, the fibular injury as well. But I, I see that one pretty frequently where it actually turns out to be the fibula. And I think uh, the pearl there is remember that the fibula is not a major weight bearing bone. It only takes ten percent of your body weight, so you can walk and run and jump on a fibular injury. I had a cheerleader, no cheerleader, not cheerleader, close, but uh, gymnast who had a completely displaced mid-shaft fibular fracture that she competed on for three weeks. And when that family came into the office and they, we pulled up the x-rays of the tib fib and the dad's eyes look like, like they, if you've watched Pee Wee's movie where large Marge's eyes bulge out at one point, that is literally what the dad's eyes did when he saw that his daughter had had a completely fractured fibula that she had been competing on for three weeks. So, so never underestimate the fibula as far as the degree of injury and how much it may not hurt. Yeah. We <laughs> uh, actually had a football and- player. We had a football player this year who. Felt a pop, didn't seem to be all that bad, tried to go back in the game, just couldn't do it. Over you know, two or three weeks, we rehabbed and did everything. You know, we threw the book at him. And he could do literally could do everything but run. He could do plyometrics, he could do any not you know, any weight bearing stuff we threw at him except for run. And we finally got an x-ray and we were expecting there to be like a hairline fracture or something like that. And no, it was actually displaced a little bit. And I think all of us, the doctor included, jaw just dropped seeing this x-ray going, he was able to do all of this with that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's the fibula. <laughs> <laughs> had had a football player this year as well. Had same thing. Proximal fibula. They thought He thought he just had bruised his leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. How about you, Ginny? In my entire time, I was lucky to never have, even as a student or in my early career, had to care for someone with a femur fracture until November of 2020. And I can tell you exactly where it happened on the field and, you know, what happened. And when this poor kiddo went down, it just looked funny. But you're thinking as you run out, like, there's no way that he snapped his femur in two. And immediately when I got there, I knew he had snapped his femur in two. And so that was a little bit different for me just because of the situation. And unfortunately, like our EAP went fine. And then the ambulance showed up and came down to the field without any of their med bags. So they couldn't give this kid 
pain meds and they had to go back to the ambulance. So on our end, everything went well, but on the other side, it didn't. And so it caused obviously a lot of stress and anxiety. So fast forward, the kid has surgery. The kid is doing great. He's healing faster than anyone ever imagined, but he kept having this weird lateral hip pain. He'd go back and see the doctor. There's nothing wrong. It's just going to hurt for a while because you did fracture your femur. Fast forward to we saw two more orthopedic doctors after that. And I knew from knowing this kid, something is not right. But no one wanted to order a CAT scan. Just it's going to take time. It's going to take time. And after it was either 14 or 16 months post-surgery, I finally got my team doctor because this kiddo's insurance didn't actually work with his office, but he was like, we're going to make it work anyway. We're going to find a way around it and ordered a CT so that they could actually measure the rotation of his femur. And another athletic trainer and I have been working with him this whole time. And we're like, there's got to be something here. When they did the surgery, his femur was actually rotated about 20 degrees. So for him to be in a neutral hip position, he had to stand about 20 degrees external rotated. The kid went through every single treatment, just basically trying to get through the season. Dry needling worked well for him. Luckily, um, one of the athletic trainers I work closely with could do some of that. His previous surgeon thought it would be a good idea that we take out the hardware and that was going to fix everything. And we took out the hardware and for about two days, this kiddo thought that it was better and then it wasn't and it was back to the same. And so this kid was getting recruited for football left and right. And what I hate for him is that he made the decision instead of having to go in and have his femur rebroken, that he was just going to be done playing sports. And that breaks my heart for him. But on the other hand, he found a new way in sports and he is working with a division one college football team. And he is helping with all their video promos and recording and helping with equipment. And so it was able to at least give him something to stay involved in the sport. But it was probably one of the most unique cases I've ever seen in the 20 plus years I've been working, whether it was in the high school setting or when I worked in the clinic setting. Both of you alluded to, you know, getting the runaround from our flawed healthcare system. You know, we all know there's flaws in it. And it was we can't do this till you've done this many weeks of therapy and we've done that and we'll do another x-ray. Well, the x-ray is fine. Let's do more physical therapy. And I hate that it took, it was either 14, 16 months for him to get to the point of finally getting a CAT scan. I think if I could fix anything in healthcare, that would be one of the first things I would try to fix is that whole process. But to see him come out still in a positive manner has, has been good, but it was definitely a challenge for me professionally, but a huge challenge for me mentally as well, because nothing we were doing was making him quote unquote better. How many of the three of you have actually had an open fracture that you've had to deal with? I've had two of them. Two? Mike, mm-hmm. have you had any? No. Jenny? I've had no open ankle, lower extremity stuff, but I've had a couple forearm things. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like I always get the same EMS crew too, which is interesting. Our fire department actually shows up first, being that we're smaller. And they're like, please don't tell me you have another forearm fracture. I'm like, guess what? I have another forearm fracture. <laughs> All right. How about you, Dustin? Oh, I've had a myriad of cases. <laughs> uh, interesting, wild things. I mentioned I have two tip fibs. One was in football. One was two tip fibs opens. One in football, one in soccer. Yeah, girl soccer that was like a goalie on a defender. Those are heinous looking injuries. They're scary. 
not fun to deal with. We handled them very well. We had good results on both of them. I had just this past football season, a very unusual tackle, uh, axial type load. Uh, the kid immediately grabbed the middle of his back. I went out there and it felt really weird. And I felt like he had a fracture at T5. And lo and behold, he had a fracture at T5. I'd never seen that before. Uh, that was a first for me, seeing a compression fracture all the way down that low. Very unusual. I, you know, I, was, I was thankful that he had no like uh, CSM issues. I was very worried about that, just seeing the tackle, but the way he was moving, he looked fine. But as I, he just felt really awkward at the field. And I like at some point talk about how I handled that. I think I handled it right in terms of packaging and getting him out of there and what we did there. But I think my most unique one was very scary. It was covering a wrestling match. It, it, you know, in wrestling, I've had dislocated elbows, look gross. I've had concussions. I've had lacerations. Had a wrestler lose a match, walk off the mat, extremely upset. And I hear a, a crushing sound, kind of weird sound, muffled sound, didn't think of it. I'm watching the other matches in front of me. I get tapped on my shoulder and I'm told to take a look at this kid's arm. And it was being compressed and held by the coach. And, and uh, your viewers can't see me, but I'm holding it up in the air. So I turn around and I see blood. It's bright red blood. I'm like, whoa, what, what's going on here, right? And so I lift the uh, towel off and I get an arterial spurt right in my face from the wrist. So I uh, shut it down, compacted that, put some more gauze pads on it, just squeeze it, squeeze it, put it over his head, called EMS, brought EMS in. EMS says, we want to take a look at it. I said, no, you're not going to take a look at it. I said, you're just going to trust me on this one. You're not going to do anything other than leave it where it is. You're going to pack it more and you're going to get them out of here now. And of course, you know, in a rural area, I'm sure Jenny deals with this sometimes from time to time, the newbies that come out of there really want to, they're just out of school. So they know everything. So they want to see everything and they want to do everything. And they don't want to trust some athletic trainer who is just an athletic trainer to them. Um, but, you know, lo and behold, a little, you know, a little, hey, you know, you don't need to look at this. Let's just go ahead and leave it what it is. Trust me, this is what I saw. It's hamburger underneath there. And I'm wondering to myself, how did this all happen? So he gets out of there. So they stopped the wrestling match because I was unavailable. Plus, we had emergency medical personnel in there. So I want to go see. I asked what, what happened. And he took me to a glass pane window that was reinforced, you know, with the uh, metal or the, the, like the cross, I guess it's, I don't know, it's not metal, but it's, um, fi you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's a reinforced glass. Well, he punched through it, which wasn't the problem. The problem was, is that the glass caved in and it, he pulled it back out. And so when he pulled it back out, he lacerated his wrist and caught his radial artery. And so there, that's why I had bright red blood squirting in my face. And so I was able to follow up with him at the hospital and family was very thankful. He was an out of town athlete. They were very thankful. The, the doctor, this is, I don't understand sometimes with the hospital doctors, of course, they don't really understand what we do as athletic trainers. What made you think not to tell them to not unpack it? They said that they weren't, you told them not to unpack it, which was the right thing to do. What made you think that? And I said, well, doc, it was an arterial bleed. And I had it under control as much as I could at this point. So why open it back up? He goes, well, very good job. Thank you very much. Needless to say, that was probably my most unique, weird, I guess, happening injury. And it wasn't even in the moment of sport. It was around the moment of sport. Oh, yeah. We have lots of those, right? The stands yeah. and yes, the, like you mentioned for your getting tapped on the shoulder, the cheerleaders are getting ready for the football game. That's always, <laughs> exactly. the, that's always my favorite. It's either marching yeah. band or cheer. Something just <laughs> happened to one of the two of them while you're getting ready to, for, for the football game to start. Mm -hmm. All right. Now is yeah. your chance to vent, <laughs> so to speak. Oh um, boy. Be careful what you ask for, <laughs> Dr. Halstead. Hey, you're allowed. You're allowed. All right. Uh, if you could change something about the athletic training profession, what would it be? Ginny, you get to start. I get to flow right off with what Dustin was just talking about, because I think if I could change anything, 
it would be that everyone in the United States actually knew what an athletic trainer was, what our capabilities are, what our scope of practice is, because, you know, I've had situations just like that where EMS shows up and for a dislocation, for example, and they're like, oh, we'll just do this, do this. And I'm like, I'm telling you, if I move my arm, he's losing pulse at the wrist. And they're like, oh, well, how do you know that? I don't know, because I've been doing this 20 years and I know how to evaluate an injury. And so I wish that not only the general public, but other health professionals treated us with the understanding of what we truly can do and treat us as health professionals. And I think that the struggle for some people is that, well, you only work in sports or you only do sports. And the three of us work in high school. So yes, we do primarily work with sports, but you never know when we're going to get the spectator, the coach, the whatever else may be that we're going to have to work with or just in general, there are athletic trainers working in so many different settings now, and hopefully some of these big national incidents, the the positive that can come out of those is understanding what we do. So that would be my, my biggest change. <laughs> in that awareness kind of vein, I would like to write a book someday with a description of all the different terms I've heard athletic trainers be <laughs> referred to in my office, whether it's the nurse, the physical therapist, the personal trainer, the what have you at my school who checked me out. And then the, the second phrase after that, well, we don't know if we can trust them. I'm like, I know who they are. You can trust them. I go, they probably know more. Well, they do know more about sports medicine than your pediatrician does. So yes. trust them. <laughs> it's good. But yes, I could. I, and as you guys know, I, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here is the, the number of different terminologies that people refer to all of you as is ridiculous. A little common sense knowledge is, uh, goes a long way. All right, Dustin. Maybe I should have made you, had you go last. Nah. <laughs> There's a lot of things with anything in life could probably be better with change. I've already established that I know everything. So this is obviously common <laughs> sense and you all should adopt it anyway, right? No, I'm just totally kidding. Those of you that don't know me and are listening to me the first time, I'm I'm trying to come off cross funny. Sometimes I don't. Get at me in my DMs. That's fine. I'll answer you. I'm a pretty cool guy. I'm also a referee as a part-time guy. So I, I've probably heard many creative things you can call me, so I'll, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll just go ahead and vent. I think the biggest thing in athletic training that needs to change at this given point in time is the education that our incoming young professionals are receiving. I, I don't think we are lacking in book or theoretical information for our athletic trainers. In fact, I think it's awesome. And it builds off of what Jenny says. We know a lot. We've been trained a lot. We do a lot. And I think that's wonderful. But I think where we need to do some work, and this has to do with people that are hiring, our mentors, whether whether Mike's taking in a new grad as an assistant, or whether Jenny's working with somebody in the district new, we need to get better at having a growth mindset in terms of communication and understanding what we're trying to accomplish. I think with the old internship route, which I'm now going to call the apprenticeship route, because you know, Texas and Mike Hopper have this correct. I think we learned a little bit more about what we do hands-on. We're given rope to fail. And I don't think, and I preach this when I coach, I preach this as an athletic trainer at half times of locker rooms in between coaches' speeches or in my training room when, when kids come in with, with questions about sport and playing time and, and how they're struggling and whatever they're doing. We don't learn unless we fail. And I don't think our students are given the opportunity to fail. People are going to listen to this and say, well, if people if they fail, people can get hurt. You're you're right, they are. They should be given a safety net, but that safety net shouldn't be so constrictive that we can't fail. There's a difference. And I don't think 
our profession is doing us a good job of getting young professionals that opportunity to fail. I say this not only as the old man yelling at the cloud, because I am old and I'm yelling at the cloud, but I say this as somebody that's a lead athletic trainer of my hospital system, and I bring in new professionals all the time. We get a lot of churn from young professionals now, the first time they encounter any adversity from a coach, a parent, a misdiagnosis, or a doctor. It's an immediate, I can't take it anymore. I'm not cut out for this. And that's frustrating to me because there are great men and women that can be part of this profession that can't do it because they've never been allowed the opportunity to fail in an environment where it's okay to fail. And so we need to change that. And I think the best way to do that is address it in our, it, 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 just like anything else, I'm not getting on a political slant, but we got to catch everything young, right? We got to catch it early. The earlier we can catch and we want to affect change, it needs to be at a younger generation. And it needs to be younger for our professionals. It needs to be at the initial phase of the athletic training program. You know, you spend your first year kind of observing and seeing what, if that's what you want to do. Your second year, kind of maybe get your hands wet with a lot of oversight. Maybe your third year, you're allowed to take a team now and kind of out of sight of somebody and allowed to do some things and be trusted and earn that right. But you, you need to earn that right with whatever program we're doing, right? We're just not going to just, you're not just going to hand me, Dustin Fink, a bag and say, go take care of men's and women's soccer. That was wrong back then. Although, again, I'm the greatest athletic trainer that's ever lived. So obviously they did something right. <laughs> so, Maybe not that level, but something like that. So there's my rambling way of saying that the education system for athletic training is doing a disservice to our young professionals. We are not setting them up for success coming out of school, even with a master's. We are setting them up for failure, unfortunately. There we go. Soapbox off of it now. Yeah. And not being how know how to deal with the failure. That's that's the issue, right? So Exactly. I mean, because we're all going to fail. We're all going to fail. I mean, every single one of us in one way, shape or form in what we do and whether it's parenting or our jobs or driving down the street on ice tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, again, we're going to do it, but you know, we, we need, to, you're right. We need to make sure that we have some way of having some we, grace for we, that. Yeah. We need to allow what I allow my kids to do. And, and I'm not the greatest parent in the world, but I always tell my kids, all three of my kids know is you can make as many five minute mistakes as you want to make, because that's the way you're going to learn. You have my support. I love you no matter what you do. We'll correct those actions so we don't make any more five-minute mistakes. We don't want to make the big major mistake, but we, we want. I want you, I actually encourage you to make some five-minute mistakes. Mm -hmm. How about you, Mike? So I'm going to look at the athletic trainers here, um, and, and I think you know the sports medicine practitioners in general. We need more clinician researchers, and I think that that's one of the things that holds us back as a profession is that... Well, the researchers don't know anything. This is what's happening in my high school athletic training room or in my setting. And those researchers don't know anything. So that should never be done. And on the flip side, we have the researchers who are saying those clinical athletic trainers at the high school level, they're just, they're behind the times and they're still doing X, Y, and Z. And we need to move to this and we need to move to that. Well, I think for our profession to move forward, and I think for our profession to gain some of the respect that we're all looking for. We have to become better clinician researchers. Many people on social media, many athletic trainers know me as the AT value guy. Collecting data here at our school and value. Value data, I, I think, would, would change our profession drastically. And I think that we don't understand as, as athletic trainers the impact that we have. We think we know. 
right? We we know what impact we have on our, on our kids when they have the successful story. But I, I've gotten into over the last, I don't know, six or eight weeks here. And like I said, I've been doing this AT value research for seven years now. Getting into the economics of athletic healthcare in, a, in the big picture, right, of understanding what we were, were able to accomplish, right? And understanding that these injuries are a significant financial burden, not only on our kids and their families, but potentially on our schools, but also on the healthcare system itself. And we've talked earlier in the podcast about the the healthcare system itself and how screwed up it is and, and all these things. But I think that we as athletic trainers have to be able to demonstrate where we can improve the healthcare system by eliminating the runaround. If I have this orthopedic injury, the urgent care probably isn't the best place for them. The ER is not going to be the best place for them. Their pediatrician may not be the best place for them. But if we can get them in to see a sports medicine practitioner like yourself, Dr. Halstead, get them in to see an orthopedist from the get-go, we can hopefully cut down cost. You know, I know another big topic in athletic training that's somewhat controversial is the reduction of dislocations. And practice X varies across the country of whether athletic trainers are allowed to reduce, you know, a, a dislocation or not. Our standard operating procedures are different around the country, but there is potential that that can make a huge difference. And, and I go back to, I, I actually looked it up last year, on the hospital website and I went to the EMS website and found prices. You know, when I reduced a dislocation and was able to send this girl home with instructions to follow up with her orthopedist and actually talk to the athletic trainer that works with her orthopedist and accelerate that care, but also kept them out of the emergency room for that injury was about a seven or $8,000 savings. And, you know, that's one injury. And so when we look at the research and say that there's you know, almost 3 million sports injuries each year, obviously not all those would, would reach that level of going to the ER or urgent care anyway, but understanding that you know when we start saving money at that level, it makes a major difference. And I think that athletic trainers, as athletic trainers, we can do a better job of, of conducting that type of research and providing that type of information to our stakeholders and, and gain some more of that respect that, that we're all looking for. And like Dustin says, I'll step off my soapbox now because I could talk about AT value for several hours if you wanted. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, I'll get back on a soapbox just briefly because this is this is my never-ending pet peeve with the secondary school athletic training profession, and and I and I see this in St. Louis, and I'm sure it's probably it, it's probably different in rural areas. It may be it may be different in other areas of the country. I don't understand why we keep going for for bidding for schools and people keep undercutting each other and devaluing what the athletic trader brings and you know it drives me crazy when i see that happen at the secondary school level and you know the school obviously is going to go with the lowest bid even though it doesn't necessarily mean that that's that's appropriate for care and it, it drives me crazy when i see those medical decisions made at school boards and and we just we just make this <laughs> switch through different companies and different people that are taking care of kids without the continuity that they get by sticking with somebody. And then, and then again, also noticing just in general, just again, just constantly devaluating and bringing down what the athletic trainers bring to those. 
vehicles. It just drives me crazy. That's my, that's my biggest thing that I've observed that I was just like, this makes no sense whatsoever. And you guys are just shooting yourselves in the foot by doing it. But and I, I think I can be a poster child for how that didn't happen though. And I feel like I might be one of the only ones out there because I was lucky enough that I came to my school in 2011 to fill in for another athletic trainer who we had hired and then life happened and she couldn't take the job. So I started filling in because I did not want to be in high school. And at this time I worked for a clinic and they said, okay, you're going to go cover this high school and you know, we'll regroup here throughout that time. I ended up just staying, but we had three different other entities try to come in to take that contract. Like, like you're mentioning. And at one point IAD came to me, he's like, we don't want to lose you, but I really don't know what the school board's going to do because of the cost and all of this. And I started working really closely with our assistant superintendent. And if I had not treated his child for an injury that I think two or three other people missed, I don't think he would have went to bat for me, but he did. And he stood up in the school board meeting and basically said, I don't care that we would be saving $20,000. I mean, it really was at that time. And that was in 2014 to go with this other company. We need to keep this person here. And what it eventually started was a three-year process of me becoming actually employed by the school district. But if we didn't show that value and we didn't build those relationships and things like that, I don't think it would happen. And one of the things we're seeing here in Kansas City is some of these big health systems are just coming in last minute and saying, we're not going to provide athletic training for you anymore. And schools are left scrambling. It happened during COVID. One of the biggest hospitals here in town came in and said, sorry, no ATs. Another group came in and kind of swooped it up. And then just this summer, right before school started, another one of our local big hospitals came in and let go of several of their athletic trainers. And it's been nice for me to be able to work with those school districts on bringing those people in as school district employees. There are definitely some disadvantages because you don't have that true medical model being that you're not working directly for the health system. But I feel like the positives so much outweigh it because I'm not going to have to worry about the next person, like you're saying, coming in and undercutting and like, let me take this over. And they keep trying. And I'm just very glad that I've developed that value with my school that says we're not losing her. What do we have to do to keep her? Yeah. Agreed. Well, we're going to finish up with the feature we call the Pearl of Podcast. This is your opportunity to, uh, we usually use it as like a take-home point or your, your closing argument, so to speak. But what I like to use this particular one for is is for each of you to give advice for the fledgling new athletic trainer. And what would you tell them with each of your years of experience now as athletic trainers? What would you give them as far as advice? So we'll start with Dustin. Thanks for the opportunity, Mark. This is something that I, I think I would have wanted to hear when I was 24. You don't know everything. You think you know everything. <laughs> I know that totally undercuts what I said earlier in the podcast, but you don't. As much as we, uh, as athletic trainers at times, probably get sick and tired of the continuing education and whatnot, don't view that as a bane on your existence. View it as a necessary evil. Learn. And don't learn inside the field. Learn outside the field. Learn what EMTs do. Learn what nurses do. Learn what doctors do. Learn as much as you can around and inside what you're doing. And that sounds very broad and maybe even sounds too simple. But I'm telling you, you new young Padawans out there, that there's going to come a time when you need information about something. And yes, Dr. Google is out there and Nurse YouTube is there for you. 
and you know, therapist MD is there for you. It's all there for you, but that doesn't make you the athletic trainer that you can be. If you understand globally what is going on with not only the injury, but the athlete, then you can connect. And once you connect, you create trust. And when you create trust, you create a lot more better out. Lot, that's terrible English. A lot better outcomes. You Don't edit that out because I'm completely an idiot sometimes. So the overall arching point there is to make sure that you don't get so enclosed on athletic training and sports medicine injuries that you forget you're treating a human being. And and I say this, and this is my last little piece here, unless something else pops up. Where I'm learning this the most has been in the last year of my journey, personal journey of, of weight loss and becoming a better person. But I have become more in tune with things called earthing and isometrics. Two things that I learned about in school 20 odd years ago and two things that I completely discounted until the last year. And I'm telling you, once I've learned that, that has changed how I'm treating the athlete and the whole injury and not just specifically an ankle sprain or an ACL tear or a, a labral tear in the shoulder. I'm, I'm, I'm treating it globally and you're going to get better outcomes. So there's my little pearl of wisdom. Understand, have a growth mindset, try and learn more about everything else around your bubble as well as in your bubble. Mike. You know, Dustin talked a lot about continuing education, and I could go on that rant forever. Some of your listeners have probably seen my rants on it on social media. And again, I'm in the last, you know, year and a half, two years, something like that, kind of in that same journey that, that Dustin is in about bettering ourselves personally. As cliche as it is to say, our clinical coordinator at SEMO, Dr. Carlin Mahalan, told me this. 15 years ago, take time away from athletic training for yourself. And I am the worst about that. Okay. I will admit that, but taking time for yourself, whether it's through exercise or reading or whatever it is for me, I, I go to hot works and work out in a sauna, which everybody thinks is insane. Okay. I also see Dustin out and, you know, when it's five degrees walking barefoot, you know, whatever it is, right. But also one of the big things for me over the last year and a half has been to get a massage once a month. And that's one of those things I'd never done before. And so I decided to try it. And, you know, now once a month, like I crave, I look forward to that day. And, you know, it costs some money. It's it's not cheap, but it's well worth spending the money on on my personal needs, you know, as well. We get too busy wrapped around taking care of others. I know this. Again, I'm guilty of this. I will fully admit that. But also, we have to take care of ourselves. My assistant has told me that I can't work at this pace forever. And that uh, as I get older, I won't be able to do so. But my goal is to prove her wrong. And I have to do that by taking care of myself in these types of manners. And so I encourage young athletic trainers to begin that sooner. Finding whatever works for them, whether it's a workout you know, massage therapy, whatever, whatever suits them to help them continue to do what they do on a daily basis in their professional lives. And then Jenny, we'll let you finish up. One of the things that was mentioned to me as a pearl probably 25 years ago, and it's really stuck with me is never say that's not my job. Because 
I remember working in the clinic one night and we were doing all this remodeling. And so we were down to two bathrooms versus our normal eight. And lo and behold, my manager and I are walking out. He's an athletic trainer too, to leave for the day. And we're like, oh my goodness. And we stayed there and took care of it. And no, that wasn't my job, but it was also then showing value to my organization of she's willing to be a team player. She's willing to pitch in and do the things that no one wants to do. And I think that really carries over into the high school setting because there's going to be times where, you know, you just need to jump in and help, you know, whether it's something as simple as last week, we were trying to hurry up and all get out of there because of bad weather. And, you know, I could have left with the gym still set up and our two supervisors trying to put everything away, but many hands make light work, right? So we got everything torn down and we helped each other out. And, you know, another thing that was told to me very early on, and it really sticks You can ask any of my custodians or any of the maintenance guys at my school, and they will tell you that I'm probably one of the nicest and respectful people to them as I am to when our board of education or superintendent is in my building. And that was something that was instilled in me by my family. And I feel like that rubs off on others. And, you know, like last week, I I washed all my towels in like the custodial room and I was in there and just catching up. Hey, how was your Christmas? And what did you do this? Oh, your grandkids got to come and really knowing them and 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 understanding them on a personal level, because anyone in a high school will tell you those people know more about what's going on than most of the people and most of the teachers and admin. So I think that that's that's a really important part for me is, you know, never say that's not my job, being that team player and treating everyone you work with with respect. That's great. And I'm going to I'm going to hit on each of your pearls just for one quick second. So with with the CEUs, there are a lot of opportunities out there for athletic trainers to get your CEUs that aren't just the NATA meeting, not to knock on the NATA, because again, I've been honored by the NATA this year. I don't want to knock on them. But in the big picture of things, again, there are lots of opportunities. You know, again, you know, we've put on a CME and a CEU opportunity for athletic trainers for years through St. Louis. We try and specifically kind of target and make our talks applicable to everybody who is on the sidelines and not just for a physician. There are opportunities around there. And the nice thing is a lot of these conferences have gone virtual too. So you can be in other parts of the country and find them. You just got to look for them. So you can find some interesting CEUs out there. With uh, Ginny, and this is more, actually, I would I would spawn this off as far as your pearl to the sports medicine physicians out there that listen to this podcast. So when you're covering on the sidelines and you're with your athletic trainer and your game is done, don't just pack up and go away. Help that athletic trainer and help them pack up their stuff. You know, again, you're you're a team and I see, unfortunately, that happen often. But again, you know, take that extra time and and help them out because they've probably put in a much longer day than you have at that point. Pick up around the field. You know, you can help. Uh, There's there's nothing wrong with doing that stuff. So I agree with that. It's not it's it's the not your job kind of philosophy is the one that's going to get you to no one likes that person. I agree. And then, you know, as far as Mike's point, I, you know, again, I, I would just say in the big picture of things, as far as just taking care of yourself, I mean, again, you can't do that enough. But my, my big thing is have an interest that's not your job and follow that interest. And this is the thing I stress with athletes, too, is if your identity is your athlete and you're, that's the only thing that you're going to do and you get hurt, you're in trouble. And that's where we see the mental health things creep up with our athletes is because they don't know what to do when that identity is taken away. And so, you know, again, if you have something else outside of your profession that you enjoy doing, whether it be something like exercise or taking care of yourself or just, again, something else, you know, for me, collecting Legos, it's one of those things. It's something separate. So anyhow, I'd like to thank Mike and Dustin and Ginny for joining me today. I I do appreciate everything you guys do. I appreciate everything that all the athletic trainers out there do. Again, I see you. I, I, 
understand your struggles out there. And I will continue tirelessly until I retire and probably beyond that to advocate for you guys in your profession. And so again, thank you for caring for our athletes. Thank you all for each of you three for what you do specifically. I appreciate each of you. I'm glad to know each of you. And thank you for our listeners today for taking the time to listen today. We truly appreciate you listening. We truly appreciate your feedback. Follow us on X slash Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Threads, Instagram at Ped Sports Pod. And then check out our entire podcast library at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.